Conversations bring together the biggest names in true crime, recorded live at CrimeCon 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk. Hi, it's David Swindle of Swindle Search for the Truth, and today I'm interviewing Jackie Malton, a legendary detective chief inspector of the Flying Squad in the Met. And Jackie has recently written a book and I believe it is a real interesting read, and I've seen quite a lot of media coverage. Jackie, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, yes, I've just written a book, David. It's called The Real Prime Suspect, which was published on August the 25th by Octopus, and I did that book with a ghostwriter called Helene Mulholland, and it took about a year to do, uh, to write it, so we did that during COVID. That was a positive thing, I think, that came out of you know, COVID for for me and Elaine. So I was a police officer that joined in 1970, so 52 years ago. So I was a police officer and joined in the 70s. I joined in 1977. Mm. And I sometimes liken myself as having lived through what I would have called the Gene Hunt era and the Sweeney era. And then laterally in my career when I retired, it was in what I would say the modern era. Now, I can relate to some of the stuff that you must have experienced, Jackie, in the 70s. What is the police like in the 70s compared to what it's like now? When I joined in 1970, David, it was a separate department for women. They had their own hierarchy. In fact, I joined Leicester, uh, Leicestershire Police, and they were known as Leicester and Rutland then, before they amalgamated. And uh, they were in a building across the road. <laughs> The, the what, police women were? We're in a separate building. And did you, as a policewoman, uh, you know, uh, uh, that sounds like you know, a policewoman, you know, that sounds terrible saying that like now, nowadays, but as a, a woman in the police, what kind of jobs were you given then? Well, it was a separate department and I have to look back and say in awe, really, of the work that, that those women did. So those women officers, of which I was part, but so I was kind of a rookie, 19, had been a police cadet for a bit. They knew everything about, you know, the kind of criminal fraternity where women were concerned. They knew a lot about prostitutes, now known as street workers. They knew a lot about the children of families. They had an encyclopedic knowledge of women, welfare of women, etc. So where the men were investigating crimes and a woman was involved in that, of course, they would bring us along. And we used to have police matrons. Yeah, it used to be called the women and children, if I remember right. Yes, yes. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there were police matrons and who were civilians. And then when they were not... When they were not working, they didn't work 24 hours and we would be responsible for the detention of women, caring for them, searching women uh, prisoners that had been arrested It's interesting, I mean we're at the CrimeCon event, the first CrimeCon event in uh, Scotland and there's been a couple in London uh, fairly recently, I saw you when in junior, and this one there opened up with the the former prison governor, the woman, speaking about her Vanessa. days, Vanessa, and she's speaking about her days, and you know what she's speaking about is similar to what you're saying. Exactly. Only it's a different organisation. So women were given 
Menial jobs. Menial jobs. We worked seven and a half hours a day. And uh, and remember, you know, about kind of in 1970, very few women went to work. Uh, very few women were in a profession. Uh, most women, as far as I was concerned, when I was growing up, like my mum never went to work. They, their responsibility was to look after the children and the man went to work society was a different completely different to how we see society today and i always want to say david when we talk about the old days if you like that it has to be seen in context of where society is and you know this for yourself and what's good about talking to you david is a you know ex-detective and your journey not much later than when i joined is that um you understand about the culture and where society was. And well, I lived it. I lived that. I lived that, and I can understand what it must have been like. Exactly, yeah. but also, it wasn't just confined to the police, was it? No, it was society. It was society, and, and, and it's endemic right through uh, how people perceived women. And uh, you know, I've met you before, Jackie. We did a, you did a, a, a program called The Real Prime Suspect because I think the actual Jane Tennyson film was based on you. Yeah, the um, Prime Suspect drama series was... Uh, DCI Tennyson was based on my experience as a female DCI and I was one of three in the Metropolitan Police and I yeah. met Linda LaPlante and yeah. she asked me to help with this script. I had no idea of the actual impact this script would make and uh, met Linda LaPlante and she asked me to read the script and from there the script evolved by talking to her over months and months and months. Uh, about experiences, about the structure, about being a you know a woman boss in a very male dominated. Well, profession. you you you. How long? When did you get your first promotion? Then. Oh gosh, um, eighty nine. Eighty nine. Okay. To DCI, I went to Hammersmith. No, you were a a constable. When did you get sergeant? Then when did you go to sergeant? Then. Well, I was a sergeant very quickly. Okay. Having said that was a separate policeman's department, I was a sergeant with three years' service. Okay. But I was a sergeant for 11 years. Right. That is very fast, three years. Yeah, three years. Yeah, so you obviously had big potential early on and then you slowed down. I wouldn't say... Um, uh, no, because I, I, I carried on and I passed the... Three uh, years is quite... Uh, yeah, but I passed the inspector's exam, but bearing in mind what I did... I passed the inspector's group, so I, I was, within nine years, I was an acting inspector, but I transferred to the Metropolitan Police and they okay. allowed me to retain my rank. Okay. And I had to take the Metropolitan Police inspector's exam, which was different from a provincial. So that's why that put me back a bit in terms mm. of coming down to the Met, learning about yeah. the Met, taking the exam. So all in all, um, I was uh, a sergeant for... Uh, 11 years. And before that, when I went to the Mets, um, I was a uniform sergeant. They knew I wanted to be a detective, so I did get detective sergeant. I was interviewed over the phone by Chief Superintendent, Detective Chief Superintendent, right. which, again, was unheard okay. of, and he gave so me the there job. Was, yeah, yeah. So it was a different promotion structure as well. Yeah. Uh, everything is like... And, and that's like one of the things, and you know this because you've interviewed me for your pro the programme you did, uh, Cold Case is something that I looked at and did and looked very long-term back at it. And one of the things I always say about cold cases, you're looking at cases, old cases, years and years ago, and it's too easy to be critical and say, they should have done that, they should have done that, hindsight. 
But the police were only dealing with what they had at that time. Well, I've just been listening to uh, Colin Sutton today talking about Manhunt, you know, yeah. the Levi Belfield case, and, and, and has DNA kind of replaced the, the detective. So what... In your day, in my day, we had no CCTV. We had no social no media. No mobile phones. No, no mobile phones. No DNA. We no had homes, nothing. No homes. No home system, which is Computer the home system, office. Home office, large major inquiry system, the yeah. homes, yes. We didn't have any of that. So it was house to house, knocking on doors, talking to people. It was about chit-chat, chit-chat, wasn't it? It was about the best you could have was blood. Uh, yes. Blood yes. And intuition. And intuition. intuition was a big thing. It was, you know, like some of the former detectives, they had to see the suspect, they had to interview the suspect. We called it, didn't we? Intuition is inner tuition. Inner tuition, something is telling you something. Yep. You know, uh, why did you stop that car? You know, you get that sixth sense intuitions kind of stuff. So that's how we watched. And it was about communication. Yep. It was communicating with people, all sorts of people yes. that would... Our job was to get people to open up. I'm not necessarily talking about the suspects here, but witnesses to, to you know, to talk and to open mm. up and give us yeah, information. Yeah, I, I know what you mean there, uh, sort of uncooperative witnesses and trying to get them there. So you would be what I would say a proper old school detective. Mm. Yeah. And I look at myself as that as well, and I hate to say that, but, you know, you're looking back on it. and Well, I'm proud I am. Yeah, I'm proud of it too. I'm proud. I'm proud of it because uh, one of the things that I always say, and I hate to see the police bashing uh, on Twitter and social media, um, it's no matter what, you'll get bad eggs. It always happens. It's one of the best professions that you could ever do. It's a privilege to be a police officer. Yeah. But you, your book, though, you, and I have scanned it, I've seen some of the um, media coverage of it. You had some ups and downs, and you did have some issues been treated as a woman. There's some issues that you had in that too as, as a detective. But you must have been, you know, at DCI in the Flying Squad, the old Sweeney, mate, the old Sweeney. No, I wasn't you know? a... No, hold on. No? hold on. Hold on. I wasn't a DCI in the Flying Squad. I was a detective sergeant in the Flying ah, Squad. Right, and I became right. one of three detective chief inspectors in the Met that ah, were female. Right. Yep, yep, so the yep. journey upwards was uh, from transferring from Leicestershire to the Metropolitan Police okay. going back yep. in the CID. I won't bore you with all my career history. Uh, but I did work on major investigations, New Crossfire, right. crime investigation of the Brixton riots. The little boy went missing, Visham Hotra, on Royal Wedding Day and was found dead six months later. And then they put me on the flying squad. So, so you were on the flying squad. Another male... Yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh. another. I was the only woman in my team on the flying squad based in South East London in a place called Rotherhithe, which Rotherhithe, was Bermondsey. which now you would never recognise it. Yeah, Bermondsey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we just moved round the corner, you know, to Tower We changed offices, but nevertheless, South East London, working with uh, what we call robbers, blaggers, working mm -hmm, with mm -hmm, South East London mm -hmm. blaggers. And uh, it was very male-dominated profession. Sweeney was based in the flying squad, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the first day I walked in to meet my partner, I was a DS, he was a DS, and we had the flying squad vehicle, car, we had a driver, and uh, I, 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 we, we, you know, when I first met you, David, you said, you know, how do you do? Nice to meet you. As I said the same to you. And so when I met him, I held out my hand, my partner, and I said, how do you do? My name's Jackie. So why don't you fuck off, you cunt? Hey, 
Is that right? He said, I'm not working with a woman. And he just made my life hell. And I tolerated it for about six months with him and just horrible tricks that he played. And it was just a bully. So I went to my boss eventually. And I said, look, I can't. I can't cope with this guy. He's just, you know, he's just a nightmare. And by that time, in fairness to the other men in the office, they had started to see the way that he was treating me and, you know, kind of backed me up. So the DCI guy gave me a new partner and life was sweet after then. So so there wasn't an organisation cover up with that. No. You, you complained about that mm. and it was dealt with at that time. Definitely. Because sometimes the things that happen is a kind that's an, it's an organisational type failing or cover-up, but it wasn't. So you complained about that, but but that shows you what you were up against. And is this all in your book? Yeah, it's all in yeah, my book yeah. about and my... Your book is where you can buy your book anyway, can't you? It's in the, yeah, um, the funny enough, yeah. um, I met an, uh, a colleague yesterday who was in the Met and she'd moved up to Glasgow and uh, she... <laughs> So we went to Waterstones and I, the book was in there. So oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah signed yeah. a copy book. But it's on Amazon and stuff. And um, and then when I spoke to Linda Laplante about him, this particular character, she based Sergeant Otley, played by Tom Bell, this obnoxious detective sergeant in the series Prime Suspect. She based that character on what I told All her about right. this guy. So I did get my own back on it. So I wonder, uh, it's interesting, I mean, the last time I saw you was at CrimeCon in June, mm-hmm. and your book was in embryonic stages, but I think you were actually finished, it was ready to go, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we were going to, uh, it wasn't quite ready to go, but you had to do that process of having a literary agent and putting it out to uh, publishers, and then the publishers, you know, there's, there's a, always a little kind of, if you find out that a few publishers are interested in the book, then... Um, they put office on the table. That time. Yeah, you've had a, there's been a lot of publicity, um, but but rightly so, because what you did uh, in a career as a women detective is a pathfinder trailblazer for women. Yeah. Really, there's a lot of other women that have you know done that as well. But your story, and obviously from the real prime suspect, I used to watch that, <laughs> and I wonder if people still go back and try and watch it? Can they still watch that programme? I was Real talking no, Not the Real Prime, the actual Jane Tennyson one. No, sure, sure. Uh, and your programme too, sorry, Jackie, the, your programme that you did, with, I think it was with CBS, was it? Yes. The Real Prime Suspect, that's a good watch also. Well, that was a brilliant watch, and uh, i tell you why I think that was a brilliant watch, because... Not it, because I was in it, no. Yes. No, it's another one, yeah. No, but there was a brilliant watch for a number of reasons. This is the first time that... TV had showed an ex-detective going back to revisit major criminals, a lot of them serial killers, and um, talking to somebody like me. So in the case, obviously, of Peter Tobin, um, came back to speak to you as the SIO and your subsequent involvement Mm -hmm. in the operation that traced Tobin... Uh, yep. Who had committed those other offences, and of course to speak to you know the forensic scientist Carol. Carol, who's here today? Carol's with me today. To, yes, I yes. sat next to Carol and uh, and the lovely prosecutor fiscal Dorothy, who is now Dorothy Bain, Lord Advocate, and Dorothy Bain, you know, a lot of respect for Dorothy the way she prosecuted that, and you interviewed her. Mm. She is all about victims. Mm. Huge and That's respect. the thing. She's really, really switched on with that. So, so you're here. You know, you did that film and you're here and you, you've I met did, Carol. Um, yeah, yeah, I did 18 cases uh, 
you know, Peter Tobin was one. Yep. Of, they're all horrific murders, aren't they? But in particular, Peter Tobin was yeah. her, 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 is a horrific, horrible character. And of course, it's the unknowns as well with him. What else he's done? What else he's done in this yeah. arrogance that he won't kind of will go to his grave with it. So that was a real privilege to speak to guys like you. And I think it's important that they trust the process. So what I would do is do as much preparation as I possibly could when I came to speak to you. Mm -hmm. I'd research as much as I could mm -hmm. about Tobin. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want you to think that, you know... Uh, it, it, it's out of respect. It's out of respect that you do your own kind of research and stuff whenever you're kind of asking people questions. And um, I was just in awe, in awe of detectives like you, mm -hmm. um, people that had interviewed and uh, done with Rosemary West, Murray Hindley, mm -hmm. Joseph yeah. Kappen, all of those kind of yeah. terrible cases yeah. Yeah. Of, of, of what I would call old-school detectives yeah. Yeah. that yeah. have you, done you, it. There's no substitute for experience. No matter what you know, technology you have, mm -hmm. And that's one thing I'm a great believer, and I think I said it maybe on that programme, and I've said it, probably say it when I speak this afternoon. I like myself as an SIO, as a football manager, I'm only as good as my team. And I surround myself with the experts, but at the end of the day, you're the SIO, and it's up to you to make that decision. And there's been a few cases where expertise and profilers have got it wrong, and the police have got carried away with it. But that's what you're saying with people like yourself, and as it's... it's Expertise. It's expertise and good old coppering, you know, and yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. And we were taught, weren't we? We were taught in the CID, you know, by by other senior officers to us who were those old school detectives, and that you would see which kind of leadership. Well, I can't speak for you, but I know that the kind of leadership that I would want to kind of be if I was in that position, and to be able to kind of lead my team because. It's just like a football manager. If you've got mm -hmm. a football manager yep. and his team don't like that football manager and they play rubbish, you know, do you know what I mean? Yep. That yep. How yep. they yep. respond to that yep. football manager yes. is unbelievably, you know, it's uh, about powerful. having respect, them having respect for you and you yeah. ha having trust in them. And so as the DCI or you as an SIO in a major investigation, whatever the job is and you are managing huge amounts, numbers of of mm -hmm. men and women, you know, they want to work for you because they respect you and they want to... And yeah. it's a mutual. It's about credibility. And I, I think that's the big thing with you, with your book. Mm -hmm. Your credibility comes out um, for the extracts I've seen. And I think you were on one of the TV programmes, Breakfast Good Morning Britain yes. or something like that. Yeah. And it came across really well. And people, I could see it on the couch, they could have sat and spoke to you. And they probably did sit and speak to you for a, quite a while out with it. But I thought it was, I thought what you've done, I, I admire you, I think it's brilliant what you've done with the book. And you've got to put it out there. And for you, it must be a real seeing it, you know, well, I've seeing got, it come through. I, I've got less years in front of me than behind me, David. And I think, well, I think well. it's an important that the story of women police and the integration and sexual discrimination act and what it was like and some of the behaviours and the culture. And I do think that the police are really being... I think that's important historically to be out mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. really do think that's important, and my experiences. So, uh, but now, you know, that the police are getting hammered from every, every, every angle. These are these police officers that get up in the morning, they do the very best to go to, do, to work, to do, you know, a good job. And 
the, the social media, people oh. have got their phones out, they're filming, you know, it's always reported out of context. Mm-hmm. They're not really interested. And your line and my line I, uh, is true. It is the search for the truth. That's yep. what being a detective is. It's the search for the truth. Well, that's my that's on my website, and that's how I pushed a lot of these things. That's what I still do with the Killed Abroad families as well. Search, search for, the, for truth. the truth. And it's very frustrating when you can't. What was your... What was the highs when you were a detective? What was well, your highs? The highs are being, as you say, kind of, you know, part, being part of a team. That's Those are the highs. And, and in actual fact, working together as a team. Catching the criminal. And catching the criminal. But the lows are when you know that someone has done it <laughs> and you can't establish it. Or you get a not guilty plea with overwhelming yeah. evidence but where the there's big thing, allegations uh, made. The big thing is... And this is the thing that you would experience is the noble cause, where they want to, they're so determined that sometimes in the old school, when we go back looking at old cases, you go, what? And the evidence is found. Mm-hmm. And that's where the dangers arise, where you can only do what you can. Noble cause corruption. You need to. And that is the thing. Big high, nowadays, DNA hit. You know, brilliant. Phone call, they've been arrested. You had that though, didn't you? Oh yeah. You no, didn't you have that with Tobin? You had did you have the call? The the did call you? with the DNA call, yes, Carol Roger that you mentioned. Yeah, I get that call. We, you know it was it the scene for that was quite horrific. buried. Yeah, it was horrific, but he'd buried he'd put it below the boards, he'd tidied up. And you showed up. me it. I yeah, went there. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um and and the thing about it is that I get that call, you know. Yeah, it's DNA. But the, it's Tobin. He, but that's a start. But that was, you know, Tobin there, and he was the handyman in the church and everything else. And so it, we, you knew it was him, obviously, didn't you? But what you didn't know, what you didn't know at that point, well, later on, you didn't know all about the connections down south. No, what happened with Peter Tobin, he killed Angelica Clute, a Polish student in a, in, a, in a church, and he concealed her body under it. And as far as I'm concerned... He was going to remove her, and he stayed there for two days and reported her missing using a false name, Patrick McLaughlin. But I decided he's done this before, and we set up Operation Anagram, and then identified him as a serial killer on that. Um, But, you know, it was obviously him involved in it. But the dangers were that the defence could allege that other people had been involved. There was the issues about the priest there. And it's not a case you can't just say, that's it now, We've got the DNA hit, we've caught the guy, you've got to think of what was coming, and you would have this in the flying squad. And oh maybe years ago they never thought that way, but you've got to think about the worst days when you're going to court to get oh evidence. Oh, no, we thought about you know, that. and it's like... And then you didn't have tape recording of interviews. That's a good thing now, because how many times do people never believe that the accused or the defendant would make admissions. And also, the, I was talking to a police officer the other day and they were talking about body-worn cameras and they said that complaints against police had greatly reduced in relation to those kind of allegations because the body-worn cameras would prove or disprove, you know, the the allegation stuff. But when on the flying squad, we had 
uh, Defence Council would be uh, Michael Mansford, Rock Tanzu, and Ronald Thwaites in one trial. In one trial. They were amazing defence lawyers and stuff. So, you know, we always anticipated the case at Crown, uh, to the Old Bailey. We always went to the Old Bailey. We always anticipated the case being heard at the Old Bailey and the allegations that defence would make. And, 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 and again, it's always similar, yeah. It's similar it's to. Similar. It's it's similar things. And you always used to think if I bring in an expert here, um, they'll bring in a better expert, you know, and that's exactly. what would happen. It was like theatre, though, wasn't it? it? Yes, it was a kind of bear pit type fighting, you know, and, and, and you knew the bounds of it, and that was what happened on it. Jackie, see your, um, your book. I mean, your book's called, what's the book called again? Our book is called The Real Prime Suspect. The Real Prime Suspect. That's yeah. you. It's based on you, it's based on what you've done. And it's a memoir of, of, of my life, and it's not just in the police, it's about, I talk about alcoholism, I talk about being, I've been in a prison for 16 years working with lifers. Who, uh, well, you do you do something else. That's right, mm. don't you? Yeah. So I work with life is um, one guy. I've been uh, mentoring him for a number of years. He's a double lifer. He has nobody, and um, he's in open conditions now. So I take him out every month, and he's just messaged me today, crime con actually, and he's uh, been a bit poorly in that they want a next of kin, and he said could. Um, Yes, yeah, your your shout, Jackie. But you know, can I give your name? <laughs> and you know, it's it's surreal, isn't it? Double life yeah. is saying, "Can I yeah. give your name?" Is yeah. the only person yeah. that I know in this world. Sad as well, isn't it? It's very sad. sad. It's very so sad. So the book the book's called that. What is your social media? If people want to find you in social media. What you're on Twitter? You're at oh, Thursday. Yeah, yeah. What is it again? At Thursday. Mm, my, what is it? My. At? My uh, Twitter handle is called at Thursley, which is T-H-U-R-S-L-E-Y. I'm on Instagram, Jackie Moulton, Facebook, Jackie so Moulton. you're easy to find. Easy you're to easy find. You're easy to find. Easy to find. Um, so and really, just before, uh, you, you know, we, we, we end it, because I know time's running out, David, but that was a very moving uh, presentation this morning with the case that you're oh, yeah. working on um, with that um, case is, is Kirsty. Yeah. Kirsty Maxwell. Kirsty Maxwell. What, what I found, and, and we had Kirsty's family doing a, a podcast as well, yeah, and they had done two episodes, you know, and, and the good thing is trying to get the message because you can do documentaries, as you know, but they're edited. You can have a media story where it's edited and it's sensational headlines. The podcast for that kind of thing, they can speak a lot within limits. Um, for them being here, with the charity being here, there's so many people interested. And what I'm hoping, and I could see where I was standing on that uh, lectern, I could see the eye, people's eyes filling up. No, oh, I was. And signs of, I know you were in the front, and signs of, and that shows you no matter mm. what you've done, mm. you can find that. It's very moving. And signs of people that are of disbelief. And some people asking questions, and, and they say, no, that isn't what happens, because there's no process for it. And what I'm hoping and is that by the family and me speaking uh, about these that case, but also the wider issues, that it will result in some kind of change and pushing it. And it is interesting, that thing that Debbie, uh, my colleague that's a Spanish uh, speaker, she gives the example of she passes through different countries and every time she goes out, she's Spanish. She gets an SMS from the Spanish government saying... These are where you go for help. This is where you go. Now you're in France, that's what you do. She comes into the UK with you. British people don't do anything. We don't get anything like that. Nothing. 
Nothing. So there's things like that, and we look at ourselves as the Great Britain, but we are good at policing, and I said that, and we tend to try and compare other countries and say that's what you expect. But we should be expected. You don't deserve to be treated the way Kirsty's family have been treated. And Ian Marlon, who was there, you know, his son, Craig Marlon, it's shocking. I mean, that's 10 years, and that's down to incompetence and slowness with the courts. So, no, I'm glad you... No, um, I mean, how can you it. say that ah. um, you enjoy something like that? But I found it, you know, fascinating and and frustrating and how sad that it was for both of those cases oh, where terrible. you're dealing with a country ah. yeah, that is terrible. not investigating terrible. it in the way that we would investigate it. It's very, very sad. But it's always good to see you, David. Aye. I, I think a true crime, which I found quite interesting with the opening with Nancy, was a big focus on victims. Oh, and that was so. good. And that is it's a big focus on victims because, as you know, sometimes in the true crime world, forget the victims and a lot of the focuses and the killers. We should always never, yep. ever, yep. ever, yep. ever forget yep. the victims. So good luck with the book, Jackie. I think it's a great experience for you. Thank you. It's lovely I'm sure to you'll not know how many you've sold yet, will you? No, no, I don't know those. Although they're very, the publisher don't, haven't given me figures, but they're very, very pleased. I'm delighted, and pleased. I'm keeping an eye on it because the first <laughs> last time I met you, it was developing. Yes, there. Thank you, David. You've been listening to Crime Conversations, recorded live at CrimeCon 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk.